Welcome to Business Matters with host Rob Capello, a podcast where we open the conversation on what matters for business. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First Credit Union, a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Business Matters live stream. Uh, my name is Rob Capello. I'm business development, our VP of Business Development at Non Media Group, and I'll be moderating today's session. Um, so everyone knows from the previous sessions, we're live streaming on Zoom and on our Clona Now Facebook page as well. So in these sessions will be available afterwards as well um, that you can look at them. Feel free to submit questions. Um, we'll get to as many as possible. We typically run out of time in an hour. It goes by really quickly, but if the ones that we can't get to, we'll try to do our best to circle back as well. Uh, so we had Scott join us in an earlier panel and a lot of questions came up all this year around employment loss. We thought, hey, you know, it might be worthwhile dedicating a full session just to this topic. Um, there's a lot of employers and employees that have a lot of questions right now around this, uh, this, this topic as well. So we wanted to make sure that we could get as many questions answered. So there's, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty as people are going back to work right now. We're starting to hear some businesses starting to open doors. And uh, obviously there's difficult times for businesses, especially for small businesses. So we're, you know, we're hoping to do our best today that Scott will provide some guidance to business owners as best as possible, assist employees and discuss how we navigate sort of our way through this COVID-19. So, so let's, no one wants to hear me talk, so let's get started. Um, so welcome Scott to, um, to the session today. He's a partner at Doak Sheriff um, at LLP. Scott has been practicing law since 2005 after being called to the bar in Ontario. Um, he, Scott has focused practice exclusively on employment and human resource law and commercial litigation. Scott relocated in, in Kelowna in 2017. Uh, and then Scott brings really an extensive experience in advising clients, written and oral advocacy, mediations, out of court settlement examinations, and if necessary, trials as well. And in 2019, Scott received his CPHR designation from the Charter Professional and uh, Professional Senior Resource. So lots of uh, uh, experience, and hopefully, we'll be able to shed some lights on many questions. So. So we thought today what we're gonna do is kind of breaking them into different categories. So we have about five different categories we're gonna focus on. And then again, please do ask questions and we'll integrate questions, your guys' questions as, as, as you uh, come up with them through either Facebook or Zoom, please ask them and we'll make sure we get to them. So, so again, Scott, welcome and thanks for taking the, the time to spend you know, about an hour with us today. Oh, thank you. So let's let's start about the, I think the, the the big topic right now is sort of layoffs and terminations. There's a lot of discussion around that right now because uh, um, you know, a lot of businesses have had to lay people off. So right off the start, you know, the easy question, uh, are temporary layoffs legal? Yeah, it, it's kind of an odd answer. And I think I'm, my answer will surprise most employers and employees. Um, layoffs are, are legal under the Employment Standards Act and under the Canada Labor Code, whether you're federally regulated or provincially regulated. But technically, a temporary layoff um, has to have some conditions in order to make it legal under the common law. And the common law is the court decisions. And, and basically it comes down to the fact that uh, an employment relationship is a contractual relationship between an employer and an employee. And that contract is the employer will provide work for the employee and the employee will work in exchange for money. 
So if you do a temporary layoff, you're creating a situation now where the employer no longer has work for the employee and is no longer paying them. So technically they're being terminated from their employment, albeit on a temporary basis. So in order for it to be legal, it has to have some criteria under the common law. And the first would be that it would be an industry where temporary layoffs are the norm. So like forestry or mining, where they go through a seasonal cycle and there would be normal layoffs, that's acceptable. Or it has to be explicitly in the employment agreement that temporary layoffs may occur. And if it's absent those two factors, the employee actually is required to give their consent to the layoff. And if they don't provide their consent, technically a temporary layoff is uh, a dismissal of their employment. So if the employee doesn't consent, it's a, it's a technically a termination. Now I say that a bit tongue in cheek because that's the technical requirement. I think in reality, the fact is that an employer or an employee who does not provide their consent in a time like this, where there's mass layoffs, will probably be unsuccessful in advancing in a claim that they've been wrongfully terminated. Uh, they, and they will probably be deemed to have, should have accepted a temporary layoff. But so there is some technical legal requirements for a temporary layoff, although they're legal under the legislation, the technicalities come into the common law component. So due to obviously we're, you know, these are, these are situations a lot of businesses have never faced before the pandemic. So what can an employer legally, like how can an employer legally temporarily lay someone off then because of the pandemic or what are, if, if the steps, if you, if you don't have a contract, you know, if, it, if it's not in the contract and so forth, is there steps they can take to make sure that they're on side? Technically what they would have to do is provide notice that they're going to be doing a temporary layoff. And, and the notice requirements are, are in the legislation, whether it's the Employment Standards Act or the Canada Labor Code. Uh, every employee is, is entitled to reasonable notice on, on termination. So essentially because a temporary layoff is in a, in essence a termination, Right. the employer should give notice that there's going to be the temporary layoff. So whatever is prescribed under the, under the legislation, and it's generally uh, uh, one week per year of employment up to a maximum of eight weeks. So if you've got a long-term employee who's been there for 20 years, you should probably give them two months notice that the layoff is coming before it happens. Um, now that's not always practical, particularly in this circumstances. This might all be over in two months, hopefully. Uh, but if you've got shorter term employees, what we've been seeing is employers will give, uh, uh, if you've got like a one or two year employee, you give them one or two weeks notice and then implement the, in the layoff. And that can skirt that issue of not having consent from the employee. So, but, but given the situation we're in and, and maybe is 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 everything out the window for lack of a better word because there's so much there's so many layoffs right now is that it's like or what would happen if if you know what i mean if you didn't meet all those from an employer point of view you didn't meet all those regulations like you said given that there's such mass layoffs because of what's happening yeah and i think that's going to be the reality of it i think because they're the necessity right now is everyone's either going to work from home or right. work from home is not possible it's going to have to be layoffs right. um, the employers have a, a, a situation that is unprecedented and unprecedented is going to lead to new court decisions. So I think my opinion, I actually wrote an article about this on our, our firm's website. My opinion is going forward, anybody who uh, 
uh, refuse to take the temporary layoff and asserts that they've been wrongfully dismissed will likely have an uphill battle trying to assert right. that they're entitled to damages for wrongful dismissal under all of the circumstances. So even though there's all those technical requirements, I think it, it will still be an uphill battle for an employee to assert that position. Right. Fair enough. So how long can an employee be laid off for? Is there like, and where does that threshold under under the employment standards act so that's under the bc legislation yeah. uh, for for provincially regulated employees which is the bulk of employees um, a temporary layoff can last for 13 weeks in a 20 week period so it's it's three months and a one week, uh, which is kind of an odd number. Under the federal leg legislation under the Canada Labor Code, it's three months that the layoff can last for. So during that period, there's the, the employer would issue an, a record of employment, and then that would trigger unemployment insurance benefits or curb benefits, which I'm sure we'll talk about later today. Yeah. So what... Is there is there any changes around be, the length of being laid off because of what's happening? Is there is there been any changes from in from a legal point of view that you can be laid off longer or not? Or is it is it still thirteen weeks? Um, the the BC government did make some changes to the Employment Standards Act uh, in March, yeah. but none of those affect like regarding termination, layoff, or anything like that. The changes that they made all related specifically to protected leaves. So those are the unpaid leaves of absence right. that employees can take where their job will be protected so they can come back to work. Uh, yeah. They can't be terminated from their employment during that specific leave. And they added a bunch of COVID-19 specific leaves. They also added sick leave for the individual employee, which had never been in the Employment Standards Act before. Uh, a lot of people were surprised by that because you'd assume that the employee could take a sick leave if they got sick, but it was never actually legislated. You could take leaves if you had to care for a family member or if somebody else was sick, but not if you were, yourself were sick. So that's now been introduced as well. Okay. So 13 weeks in one day, is the employee now terminated? Yeah. As soon as the 13 week period is up, Right. If the employee has not been recalled to work in that period, they're deemed to have been terminated as of the first day of the layoff. So you can kind of go back to the day and they've been terminated as of that day. And they're entitled then to uh, pay in lieu of notice for the termination. So if they have an employment agreement that limits what they're entitled to uh, under Employment Standards Act, they would get the Employment Standards Act minimums. If they don't have a valid employment agreement, they would get Employment Standards Act minimums plus uh, common law damages. And those are, those are a little more variable, but it can increase the, the amount of notice that an employee is entitled to on termination exponentially from, from the maximum under employment standards, which is eight weeks, they could suddenly be getting up to two years of notice. So there's a big variable there. So what, what if you're in an industry though that has been mandated to shut down? Like, do, do, do all these rules still apply? Like, because what if you can't open for three, four months? But I mean, we don't, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what, when and if we're going to be able to open. But if you're in a service industry that's been shut down, does, do these rules still apply? Because it might go past the 13 weeks. And that's, it's an interesting question because I, I haven't seen any, anything coming down the pipe with regards to changes to the legislation under the Employment Standards Act or the Canada Labor Code regarding extension of that layoff period. Yeah. But it seems logical that if if the if the if the term in which the mandatory closures are going to take place exceeds that three month period, 
they're going to have to change the legislation and allow employers to have a, a temporary layoff for an extended period. So I, I think they're probably keeping that in reserves if if it becomes necessary. With fingers crossed that it won't. Um, but I think it I think it would likely happen. Okay. Uh, and the last question around this sort of topic, and we can move on to a different one, is that what's from an employer point of view and employee, what's the difference between a layoff and a termination? Like, so where, where do the, uh, the obligations change and so forth between the two of them? So uh, a layoff in itself is uh, basically a temporary hiatus from work where there's no work and there's no pay coming to the employee. Um, and it triggers an entitlement for unemployment insurance or curb benefits. Um, a termination is a permanent situation. So you will never come back to work. The, the idea of a layoff is it's, it's temporary in nature. And the, the idea is that you can be recalled anytime during that 13 week period uh, to come back to work. And that's the intention is that you, you will come back to work. Right. Um, nobody's getting laid off with the intention that they're not going to return to work and their job would be protected during that period. But there, there's, there's the guarantee, not, not so much a guarantee because there's no, no guarantees in, in life or law, but there, there's the, the expectation that after the period you will be recalled. Whereas uh, termination, there's no chance of uh, being recalled to work. Okay. Okay. Um, there's already questions coming in, but we'll, we're just going to cover one more topic and then we'll circle back, circle back to some of the sure. questions. But let's talk about the Employment Standards Act. Again, I know that each topic we're going to, you might spend about 10 minutes because we only have an hour to talk. So what has, what was changed in the BC Employment Standards Act as a result of COVID-19? There might be a lot. So what are the highlights that we, that's important from an employer and a, an employee point of view? The, the biggest changes uh, that they made from, from, both the employer and the employee perspective um, were specific leaves of absence related to COVID-19 issues. So if you're sick with a COVID or you've been quarantined because you're, you're presumed to have, uh, have the virus or you have to look after an individual who has the virus or is presumed to look at, have the virus um, or you've traveled and you've got a mandatory uh, quarantine period upon your return, uh, or you're a parent whose children can't go to school because the schools are closed and there's no childcare available for you, um, they've created an unpaid leave of absence for those circumstances. And the, the leave of absence is indefinite. There's no end date. It can go on essentially, as long as you meet the conditions, that leave of absence is there. And under the Employment Standards Act, a a protected leave of absence is, is just that. It's a, it protects the employee's job so that when they're able to return to work, their job is there and ready for them. So the employer can't terminate them during that period and can't replace them. They, they can hire a temporary person if they need to to cover that person during the leave, but that person is entitled to have their job back when the leave is over. So they, they brought in all of these very specific COVID-related issues. Right. At the same time, they brought in sick leave for individuals, which is actually only three days. You're allowed to have this three-day sick leave now. It doesn't have to be sickness related to COVID issues. It's just any sickness. And I think that change to the Employment Standards Act will actually uh, live on in the Employment Standards Act after the pandemic. And the COVID issues will probably drop off eventually, but uh, that sick leave will still be there. 
you, you mentioned the word presumed a couple times in there. So how do you, like from an employer point of view or an employee, like how long can it be presumed that you're, you, that you're affected or potentially affected or like, so how long can that go on? It, it's, yeah, that's always a tough question. Yeah. I mean, there's never a clear answer in law and that's one of the, 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 the kind of the safeguards for lawyers. We always say we, we don't really know. It's a subjective answer. Um, and there's all sorts of um, legislation put in place to protect employee, employee privacy. Uh, there's human rights components. Uh, and so even if you suspect that an employee might be kind of abusing the system or is taking advantage of the fact that there is a pandemic to, to take one of these unpaid leaves, um, it's quite difficult, surprisingly, for the employer to come and say, look, I need you to prove that you're meeting these criteria. Um, that's not to say it can't happen, but right. it is it is difficult <laughs> and it, it, it's a, it, it is a bit of a problem. And it, it comes into play too when employees want to uh, take uh, a medical leave. Uh, how much information can the employer request from the employee? That becomes very subjective and case by case because you can't can't violate privacy and you can't violate human rights concerns. So it, it's a fine line you have to walk. So we generally say, and this is the, the standard lawyer answer, it's a case by case analysis. Yeah, and it would be. I mean, I know not every situation is the same. I get that for sure. It's like, so I think even heard that yesterday session, like a lot of it is, you know, making sure the employer and employee have a lot of communication going on and making sure, because again, we're trying to get through this stuff together. And, and uh, so like you said, it has to be case by case for sure. Yeah, but, I, I, I've always been a, a big advocate when I represent uh, employers, I'm, I'm always an advocate that transparency is generally the best policy. There's, and that doesn't mean carte blanche, you have to disclose everything of your inner right. workings, but when it comes to dealing with your employees, be upfront and honest and reasonable right. and and you'll it, it it pays itself off in, in exponentially because you avoid lawsuits that way so Absolutely. as long as you're clear with people they'll understand and they get it like you said we're all in this together so so is there what new protected leaves are, are now available under the changes to the employment standard act uh, it's essentially those covid related leaves and and uh, the the weird sort of anomaly about those leaves is they're indefinite. So as long as, like I said, you, as long as you've got those presumptive uh, criteria are met, you're entitled to take that leave. Every other leave under the Employment Standards Act has a fixed time limit. So if you're taking a leave for, uh, to care for a, a sick individual or a sick family member, um, it's a fixed amount of time that you're allowed to take off. So the employer will know Right. This one's a bit of an anomaly because it's it's indefinite and it can go on in, until until the crisis is over, essentially. So with the recent changes to this Employment Standards Act, has there been any changes to layoffs, termination, or overtime? No, nothing at all. That, they, they haven't changed that at all. And, and I think, like I said, when we discussed it earlier, I think the, the, the layoff provision, I think that may get changed and right. kind of, we'll have to wait and see. But if this... If the pandemic drags on longer than the 13 weeks, uh, and and for some people, if they've been laid off toward the beginning of March, we're already two months in, so there's only right. a month left. So the the time is starting to run out for some people. That being said, even if the layoffs uh, turn into terminations, that triggers other issues for employers with regards to termination pay, 
but they, the, the government has established a bunch of programs, whether it's CURB or changes to EI that allow at least you'll be able to get income. Because I think reemployment right now is going to be an issue. So what happens with vacation time right now? And how, like, how, how does that work into if you're laid off or like the employment status? Has there been any changes around that right now? Um, there, there hasn't been, but vacation and uh, holiday pay generally under the Employment Standards Act, whether you're getting paid vacations, uh, so you take a week off and your salary right. continues, or you get the, the 4 or 6%, depending on how long you've been yeah. employed, uh, added onto each of your paychecks, that um, entitlement accrues during your, your, your notice period, or your, during your, uh, your layoff. So it, it doesn't really change. Now, I think a lot of employers are, are worried that if I've got a group of employees, nobody's going to want to take holiday during a layoff or during a leave of absence or when they're working from home, I'm going to have all of these people wanting to take holiday toward the end of the year and I'm not going to have enough coverage. So I think that there, there a lot of people or a lot of employers are implementing uh, that staff take a mandatory minimum yeah. amount of holidays, at least before like May 30th or June 30th, just to, to cover that issue off. Yeah, definitely been hearing that as well as, as, and again, it's about communicating with your employees and making sure you can get through it together. And I've, I've definitely heard where people have asked, you know, asked employees to take your holidays before June or July. So you don't come back. And like you said, and then you have no, nobody left for a month or two. Right. So. right exactly. Yeah. And just like when you're, you're re rebooting your business and you need your staff, exactly. everyone's suddenly on holiday. It's not going to help. So uh, um, last question in this topic, and then we're going to jump into some questions that have been asked is that, can you be terminated from your employment if you're affected by COVID-19? No, <laughs> that, that's the, the short answer. Um, people are though. And, um, it, it, I, it, surprisingly, I've had only a few cases, at least come to our office, where people have been directly affected by COVID, whether they're infected or mandatory quarantine, uh, that have led to their employer terminating them. Um, but legally, they're, it, it, they couldn't, they can't. Uh, and and they, that employee then would have a, a good, clear case for wrongful termination. Uh, a, because the, the Employment Standards Act has been amended to cover off all of those leaves. So essentially, if an employee is affected by COVID, um, they are entitled to take one of those um, unpaid protected leaves where their job is protected. And if the employer takes the position that they've abandoned their job and they terminate their employment, they issue an ROE that says the in individual quit or abandon their position that disentitles them to EI benefits or curb benefits um, and essentially is guaranteeing a claim for wrongful termination. So it's a, it's a dangerous thing for an employer to do. Uh, it also can give rise to a human rights code complaint because COVID, uh, at least in Ontario, they've already uh, proclaimed that COVID is uh, considered a disability under the human rights code there. And I think it's just a matter of time before the same thing happens in BC because it, it is a virus, it is a disease, it is affecting people uh, and they will need time off. So if you're discriminated and terminated because of COVID, you are probably being discriminated under the human rights code as well as wrongfully terminated. So Right, right. Okay. Um, we're going to answer a couple questions and we'll come back and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the um, uh, emergency, the, the emergency benefits that employees have access to. So the first question is, 
Um, so is the sick pay that is now entitled paid or unpaid? Um, the change to the Employment Standards Act, all leaves under the Employment Standards Act are unpaid. So the leave protects your job, that you have a job to come back to, but it doesn't require the employer to pay you. Um, generally, it, a lot of employees have, uh, whether it's short-term disability or, or long-term disability, or their employers pay so many sick days per year. Um, and if, once you've exhausted your sick days, you can generally trigger your vacation days. Uh, if you don't have that, that kind of extra employee coverage for sick time, it, it is unpaid. Okay, so in the follow-up question is, so with the leave, can you clarify if they take leave now, it simply means you're paying it out? And in the future, I guess they can take unpaid leave, question mark. It is, a, is it about cash flow management to encourage people to take the leave now? If, if somebody is taking the, the leave now, that there's no obligation for the employer to pay. Okay. Once there's been a disruption of the employee's income for a period of five days, then the employer has an obligation to issue an ROE or a record of employment that entitles the employee to get like curb benefits or EI benefits, whichever one you qualify for. Uh, so there is money there if there isn't like an extra program through your employer, like short-term disability or long-term disability or paid sick days. Uh, there is income, but it only triggers after five days of, of, of a break in, in okay. income. Okay. Um, the other questions are about uh, benefits. So let's jump into that and then we'll, I'll circle back on the benefit questions sure. as well. So um, lots of questions around what's available. And this is specifically, let's, let's focus maybe on employees first and we can talk about employers next is that, so what federal benefits are available for employees who've been laid off or lost income due to the pandemic? Um, in normal circumstances, so absent the, the pandemic that we're in now, uh, anyone that was laid off from their employment would automatically trigger uh, employment insurance benefits under the Employment Insurance Act, and those are federal benefits. And uh, essentially, you, you, if you're laid off, you're issued your record of employment, you would apply for EI benefits in the normal course, and it works out to a maximum uh, of $547 per week. Uh, uh, and there would be, there's a one week waiting period for those benefits to trigger in normal circumstances. Okay. Uh, EI also has what they call EI sickness benefits. Uh, and it's the same amount of money, but it's for people that are uh, sick and unable to work. So they're not being laid off, they're just sick. And that triggers a 15 week benefit, the same amount of coverage, the 547 max per week. COVID changed all of this <laughs> to some extent. All of those benefits are still there. Um, the changes to the legislation as a result of COVID uh, were specifically to EI sickness benefits because they removed that requirement of having the, the one week waiting period. So you're, if you're sick and you have to get EI sickness benefits, you automatically get them from day one. You don't have to have that waiting period anymore and you no longer have to have medical evidence uh, to substantiate that you're sick. I think retroactively, you'll probably need to get that, but right from the outset, you don't need that. They're, they've kind of waived all the requirements, and if you're sick, they'll give you the EI sickness benefits. Okay. They made then broad sweeping changes, not to the Employment Insurance Act, but they created this new benefit program, which is called CURB, which is the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Right. There's acronyms for all of these programs, so they get really confusing. But that benefit is 
Uh, it's $2,000 a month for a period of four months, and you have to apply for it every month. But it was essentially designed to fill the gap that EI created. EI was really only available for people who have worked for a period of time, have enough insurable income to qualify for EI benefits, but it doesn't work for people that own their own businesses, who are self-employed or independent contractors, uh, students, uh, temporary workers. So there's a whole group of people that even if they're the layoffs or the termination of their employment has is no fault of their own, they can never get um, EI benefits. Right. So they created this curb program to kind of fill that gap. And it was a, supposed to be a, uh, a, everybody that can't get EI that's legitimately affected by COVID issues and can't earn income, they'll get curbed. Uh, that's really how it was designed to do. From what I've uh, been seeing and from my client's experience, everybody who applies for either EI or CURB automatically gets CURB. And I think they're just doing that because it's easier. They can just administratively send right. money faster um, than processing all of these 3 million plus EI applications. So they're going to sort it all out eventually. Uh, but at the moment, it seems anybody that applies for CURB gets CURB, uh, but I think the warning out there is if you inappropriately apply for CURB, you're going to have to pay it back. So, right. Yeah, uh, for sure. They're going to have to somehow figure that out down the road for sure. So Yeah, yeah. And so they, is CURB the only benefit available for people that are not eligible for EI? Is that correct? Currently, there it is, uh, but they've, they've introduced a bunch of other programs oh, okay. that, that still need royal assent by parliament to become law. One of those is the, um, the benefit for um, uh, post-secondary students and new post-secondary graduate, graduates. Okay. Uh, that's a $1,250 a month benefit, uh, which if you have dependents bumps up to $1,750 a month. Uh, that benefit is a, a, should come into law. I think it was being argued yesterday, if not, if, or if not today. Uh, it should be coming into law within the next week or so. Uh, and it's same sort of application as CURB, but it's specifically designed for post-secondary students or recent graduates because now we've got all this new graduates who would either go in to have a summer job or would be about to start their careers and there's no work. So that's what that benefits. Design. So does it have to be, there's a lot, there's some confusion around that too. So for a student, is it someone that's graduated or could it be someone that's in first year university or college? Like what, what's the criteria that qualifies you as a student that you can, you can go into the benefits? From what I've uh, read so far from the, the press releases from the prime minister's office is that it's, it's post-secondary, so college or university, um, any, any level. So first, second, third, fourth, whatever year yeah. you're in or recent graduates. So if you've just finished the program, uh, in April, uh, yeah. you've got all your exams and you're, you're essentially done in school, but now there's no jobs, you would qualify for it as well. Okay. So just, you mentioned temporary and seasonal workers earlier. So how is, has CURB benefits been expanded to include temporary and seasonal workers or not? It, 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 they have indicated that it will. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen the change yet. So I think it probably with the student change as well, They'll, they'll be covering off because essentially what they're trying to do is cover off everybody to make sure that nobody is kind of falling through the gaps and 
if you've had a disruption of income because of COVID, there's going to be a benefit out there for you somewhere. It's just okay. a matter of finding it. Okay. So there's a question that came in on this and then I have one more and then we'll move on to the employer side is that there is some confusion with CURB versus EI. Can you clarify if you, if you claim CURB first and then kick into EI after the four month of CURB question mark? There, there is a lot of issues regarding that. One thing is certain, I, I, you cannot double dip. So you can't get EI and CURB and some people have, and they're getting these nice notices from the CRA saying that you've received this benefit both inappropriately uh, and it will be clawed back. Um, absent that, from what it, it appears, this curb benefit seems to be getting, everyone, like I said, is getting automatically approved for that. And curb is not, it, it's taxable income. So you'll get that $2,000 and you're gonna have to pay tax on it. Um, from what I can tell from just from what has been happening, and, and this isn't, this is just my opinion from what I can tell from what's happening, people seem to be going on the curb, curb benefit. They can have that benefit for four months uh, because of the, a COVID related issue. If they're terminated or laid off and the layoff becomes a termination, that after the curbed four month period, it, that seems that they would be entitled to EI after that. So it seems to be delaying EI by that four month period. When, if you're unemployed after the four months, then, then EI would kick in. Okay, so just to wrap this the part off about the employees, where can someone go to get more information? Like, is there a site that you recommend that they go to or how, how do they, if, if there's questions around this? Um, I know on, uh, I've created a, a, a document on our website where I've got links to every federal and provincial uh, benefit and relief program. So okay. whether it's CURB or EI or EI sickness or um, uh, relief from ICBC or uh, uh, Hydro BC, all of them are in kind of one spot on our website. Um, and there's a little section on COVID related articles. It's in there. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it, everything's changing on a daily yeah, basis. So, so it's really hard to keep up with it. But, mm. uh, it, and so it's hard to find a one-stop resource. The, the, for federal benefits, for sure, the CRA website, and I'm not, a, 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 I'm not gonna be advocating for the CRA, but that's where the structure has been designed that they can get money out fast to people. So the bulk of information is available through the CRA's website um, for, for federal benefits. There, are, there is a $1,000 one-time payment available for BC residents um, through the BC government. The details of that are still being announced and released. Uh, but if you apply, if you're eligible for EI or CURB or any, it seems that any of the other federal benefits that are coming into place, it also triggers your eligibility for that $1,000 BC benefit, but the details of that haven't been released yet. Okay. Okay. Um, let's switch focus a little bit to the employer side then. So what, what's available to the employer? Obviously the wage, wage, uh, sorry, wage subsidy program is the one that I'm most aware of. So how would they amended that and what does that look like for an employer point of view? Uh, the wage subsidy was probably the biggest feature that the, the federal government announced. Uh, originally, the wage subsidy uh, was announced that it was a 10% uh, mm. contribution, and it, it, there was a lot of complaints that it just really wasn't enough. Uh, yeah. And then I think uh, the UK implemented a, an 80% wage uh, subsidy, and then Canada followed suit. So we've now uh, 
they've implemented or the federal government has implemented uh, a 75% wage subsidy for employers of any size. So it doesn't matter if you're a small employer with, with one or two employees or if you're uh, WestJet or Air Canada with, with thousands of employees, you can still trigger this benefit. Yeah. And essentially, you just have to demonstrate you have a 30% decrease in revenue uh, from month to month. Um, some industries, obviously, that's much easier to do than others, but uh, a lot of them, the COVID issue will would have automatically created uh, a 30% decrease in revenue, particularly when you look at airlines. Uh, right. And so the benefit entitles employers to a $847 a week wage subsidy uh, up to uh, a maximum, I think it's $57,000 a year of, of wages for every employee. And the expectation on the employer then is they're supposed to pay the top up. So they have to pay the 25% or if the, if the 75% maxes out uh, for each employee, the, the employer is expected to pay the difference right. uh, and to keep that. And the idea is that this avoids people getting laid off. Laid off. Exactly. <laughs> and and there, there, there was a bit of a dire warning when they implemented this program that if any businesses take advantage of it, there will be severe consequences. I don't know what that means, but it, it sounds pretty <laughs> ominous. <laughs> yeah. So is it comparing, do you're saying that the 30% decreases, so you're comparing April's revenue to March's revenue? I think it's from year to year. So I think it's April of 2020 compared to April of 2019. Got it. Okay. Uh, that, that's my understanding. And that, that, that might not be accurate, but I, that's my understanding. It's from year, year to year uh, based on monthly revenue. Okay. And is there, has there been any changes around work sharing? The, the, the government hasn't, hasn't changed the work sharing program. Um, and so a lot of people are talking about work sharing uh, as a as an idea to get through this, mm -hmm. uh, avoid layoffs or at least make them partial layoffs rather than full layoffs. Right. Uh, work sharing programs are designed to, when there's a group of people that essentially do the same job, but there's a reduction in the amount of work. Now you just pool those people and they'll work less than 50% together to do a smaller amount of work, if that makes sense. Um, they'll get an ROE that triggers employment insurance or curb benefits because they have a decrease in income and a decrease of, of work hours, but it keeps them on the books and they can stay working, albeit maybe at reduced capacity. The problem with work sharing is they, they have to be approved by the government before you implement them. So this is something if, if you had done it previously and had the plan in place that if there is a downturn this is what we're gonna do. Uh, you have to have a plan for economic redevelopment and how you're gonna get your business back up to full standards. Um, so it's it's not ideal in, in a kind of a emergency situation like we're in now, unless you already had it in place. That being said, you can still create a work sharing program if you've got the consent of your employees. So if you've got one or two employees that and there's a diminished amount of work, rather than face layoff, we, we can give you 50% of the hours or reduce you by two days a week. If the employees consent to that, that that's permissible. So although it's not technically a work share then. 
And then similar to the last question before was uh, on the other topic is where can people go get more information? Is it the same place that you had mentioned before with for the for the curb information? Yeah, generally um, the the federal government, the Service Canada website has has a, a pretty much everything for yeah. the federal benefits. Uh, for businesses, a lot of the uh, programs are put through uh, through the Commercial Development Bank or uh, or through local lenders. So businesses are encouraged to speak to their, their bank or their financial advisors rather than go through the government. And then the programs are kind of implemented through the banking system a little differently. Right. Uh, but generally the, the overview of all of the programs, all the information is, is Service Canada has most of that. Okay. Um, so one question from um, the people tuning in and then we'll, we'll jump into the last topic is, uh, from a if question is if owners that are not on payroll but take dividends only, how does this work for assistance? Uh, I, I think that they would probably be entitled to curb uh, because curb doesn't have that same uh, requirement for a record of employment or to demonstrate income. So if you own a company, you're just your your income is solely dividends from the corporation to you as the shareholder. That um, that is your income. So because Curb doesn't have that income proof requirement, um, I think that would be the benefit that would be triggered because you wouldn't be entitled to EI because you're essentially self-employed. Right. But then you would get Curb. Okay. So uh, let's move to the last topic. I know we're, we're, we've got about 20 minutes left. And, and to me, this is one of the ones I really wanted to focus on is because a lot of businesses are starting to open. Uh, and you know, making sure that they abide by the health regulations. But uh, so let's talk about you have employees laid off and you need to recall them. So what are the steps an employer needs to do to you know to to bring employees back? So um, you know, how do they do that? So essentially, at any time uh, during that three month or thirteen week period, the employer can bring back the employee and recall them, and that's the expectation at any time during that thirteen weeks. Uh, the employee should be ready to be recalled. Um, generally, I would say give give the employee a few days notice because particularly if they're laid off, they're, they're, they've got a different mindset now. They're not working. Uh, if they're working from home, it's a bit different, but uh, I would give them some notice that, look, we're, we're expected to bring people back. This is the date we're expecting to bring you back. Uh, from an employer's perspective, obviously you've got to curb needs with uh, the amount of work that's coming in, whether you're going to have the flow, same flow of customers, you might want to stagger people's return dates uh, because you still have that window. Now you've got a 13 weeks. So you might bring somebody back after, after six weeks, maybe 10 weeks, 12 weeks, just to, to meet your needs appropriately, because as long as they're laid off, they, they're entitled to the either EI or curb benefits. So mm -hmm. there's no there, there's a, no incentive for an employer to, to rush to bring you back. So you've got to kind of curb your own needs with with the, the, the needs of the company. And you don't want to bring back everybody and nobody's available to work or suddenly you've got a bunch of people and there's nothing to do and they're all grouped together. That's defeating the whole purpose of the whole isolation issue as well. And when you recall employees, does, can it be verbal or does it have to be in written form as well? There's, there's nothing in the legislation that says how you have to do it. So, I mean, generally, I, I would say you can recall verbally or in writing right. or both. It's probably beneficial to do it. As, as a lawyer, we say it, put everything in writing all the yeah. time because we're, we're a little anal that way. But um, so, yeah, writing is always better uh, than verbal for sure. 
Okay. So as you're calling employees back is what, uh, you know, occupational health and safety considerations should employers think about, especially now, given, you know, what we're going through? Well, I think that's going to be a big concern because I think a lot of people, uh, employees that have either been laid off or have been required to work from home, they're going to be a little nervous coming back to the office. And I think for most people, they might be a little nervous, even though the pandemic might be uh, the, the curve might be flattening and, and people are, are starting to, there's talk of reopening business. Right. The reality is if people don't feel comfortable in their workplace because of, of COVID or any other health and safety concern, they can assert a position that it's an unsafe work environment and refuse to work because yeah. under, under WorkSafe BC and under the Occupational Health and Safety Regulations, an employer is required to provide a safe work environment. And safe is, it could be a hard hat or steel-toed boots or wearing masks if there's a pandemic. So I think as long as the employer takes reasonable uh, steps to ensure that the environment is safe, uh, it will be difficult for an employee to assert that it's an unsafe work environment so whether it's deep cleaning, uh, thorough cleaning, uh, disinfecting surfaces, making sure that the, the area is safe, if it's, a, if it's a business that interacts with customers, I mean, we're all now dealing with going to the grocery store with plexiglass between us and the, and the, and the cashier. And, and so protocols like that that create a safer environment, um, I think it will be difficult for employees to assert that it's not uh, or that it is an unsafe work environment and then refuse to work. But they can, so they can refuse to work though if, it's, if they feel it's unsafe or are you just saying like it's, it's gonna be really hard for, you know, if, you're, if the employer's taking the precautions, it's gonna be very difficult for an employee, an employee to say that. Yeah, it, well, both. I mean, the, if, if the employer does everything that they can to ensure a safe environment, it'd be very difficult for an employee to assert that it is an unsafe environment. Uh, but if an employee does, then it's going to trigger work a work safe complaint. The, the the other side of it though is if if the environment is safe and all precautions have been taken to ensure it's a safe environment, and the employee refused to go to work, they're essentially abandoning abandoning their position, so they're quitting their job. So it it's kind of a risk uh, risk for the employee to assert that position. Uh, and even make a work safe complaint if it's found that the employer did everything reasonable to ensure employee safety. Okay. Um, can employers permanently reduce an employee's hours and then re return to work? Um, no. <laughs> again, yeah. again it, uh, that's, a, that's a kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a messy area of the law, but essentially if you change any term of an employee's role, whether it's a reduction of hours or reduction of salary, even if you change their, the name of their position or their roles and responsibilities in a unilateral and significant way, it's deemed a constructive dismissal. So the employee's essentially been terminated by virtue of the conduct of the employer. Um, so unless the employee consents and everybody agrees, okay, we're gonna work on reduced hours going forward and everybody's happy about it and everyone consents to it and you amend your employment agreement to reflect that change, it's technically a constructive dismissal. So the employee could then assert a claim that they've been wrongfully terminated, I want pay uh, notice or pay in lieu of notice or damages for wrongful termination. So what if you, during um, this, this time, you've actually 
put an employee in a new role during the pandemic. And now they don't want to, you know, if they don't want to return to their old role or how, how does that, how that gets a little messy to it. It, it does. And again, it can trigger that whole constructive dismissal argument. But okay. if again, and that kind of harpers back to, uh, uh, being open and honest and have that two-way communication between you and your employees because maybe they they like their new role they like working from home they like working on reduced hours reduced pay right. um, some people like that some people want are workaholics and want to work 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 and make as much money as possible so it doesn't work for everyone but if it works for both parties then that's perfectly acceptable you right. can consensually amend the terms of the employment relationship I would say that's a good time to trigger. If you don't have an employment agreement, the employer should get one and put these new terms into writing to get, get uh, a proper legal enforceable employment agreement signed off for the new role. Um, if the one party wants it and the other doesn't, then it's not consensual. So it's, it's either a, if the employee is asserting a position that they want to do less uh, and the employer needs them to do what they were doing before, there's a there's a there's a breakdown in the employment relationship, so right. it's either a termination or a resignation. Okay, so we've been hearing this from a few um, businesses where they've asked employees to come back um, because they're ready to bring employees back, but employees want to work from home still. Yeah, so are they obligated to come back into the office or not? Again, that's kind of a, a it's a bit of a messy situation. Technically yes, they would be obligated to return to work because the, the return or the, the, the requirement to work from home is a temporary measure that's been in place because, uh, because of this pandemic. And right. the, the job was always contemplated that you would come and you would work in an office for, from nine till five every day and be available right. for phone calls, for meetings, for interactions with customers, for interaction with other staff. So refusing to return to the office, um, I think will become a big issue because I think a lot of people have been working at home for an extended period of time. They can right. do the work. They find it much better to do the work at home. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to commute anymore. So I think that that will be an issue that's going to come to come into play that a lot of people will prefer to work at home. Again, if there's an open and honest relationship between the employer and the employee, you can discuss it. And if it works for both parties, that's great. And you can continue it. If, if it doesn't work, then there's going to be a breakdown in the relationship and it's going to either be lead to a resignation because you're not satisfying the needs of the employer or a termination because you're, you're not doing your job. So, but if, if an employee refuses to say they don't want to come back to the office, is there severance that needs to be paid to that employee because they were, are they, are they breaking quote unquote their contract? So how does that work? I, I would say arguably if, if their their job was always working in, in the office and right. you always work a fixed day in yeah. a fixed week uh, and you're only working at home simply by virtue because of the pandemic and then right. you refuse to come back to work after the pandemic, I think that that would be deemed a resignation. So there okay. would be no severance component of that. You've essentially quit your job or abandoned your job and there's no severance entitlement. Okay. If it was the other way around and the employer is doing something to prevent you to come back to work right. and you can't work anymore, then it would be a termination. So severance would be triggered. Yeah. And you hope that no one gets to that point that right. again, you have the communication, but you know, people do have to cover what they're looking for as well. So 
along that lines, can an employment contract be frustrated by the pandemic? Yes. <laughs> okay. um, and essentially, frustration of a contract occurs when there's an inability of the parties to uh, to, to perform what the contract was for. So uh, there's a lot of industries where working from home is not possible, but you, right. you can't come to the office by virtue of the fact that it's, it's not a safe environment for people to work in. Um, uh, and so there, there could be a frustration if, there, if the layoff gets ex uh, extended beyond the 13 weeks and now there's a termination, there could arguably be a frustration of contract. And then that now you're arguing whether or not you have a valid agreement. For, from an employment perspective, even if there isn't a valid ag agreement, the employee is still protected by legislation, whether it for termination pay. So if the, if the relationship dissolves, and a lot of people are surprised because a lot of employees actually don't have a written employment agreement. Mm -hmm. um, so that when, the, when there's a termination or a frustration, it, it's, it triggers the same benefit sort of thing. It doesn't really change anything from an employment perspective. Okay. Uh, but if there is no contract, the employee is entitled to quite a bit more notice on termination of the agreement right. Um, right. than if there is a contract that's valid, legal, and limits what their entitlement is. Okay. Um, I've been seeing a lot of discussion now with when people are going back to work, there's, there's thermal cameras that take your temperature when you go into an office and so forth. So, and, and I hope we don't get there, but can an employer take an employee's temperature at work? It, no, it, that's... It, <laughs> That's kind of an interesting one because technically it, it would be a breach of privacy that uh, you, but on the same token, uh, I think it's a reasonable precaution. And I've heard of, uh, of people, even independent contractors, they go into a pl person's place of work to do a particular job, maybe once a week or twice a week. And each time they come in, they're subjected to a, um, a temperature check. Right. Uh, if you go to the hospital before you get it through the front door, you have to have a temperature check. So right. I think that the I think although it technically would be a breach of privacy, it under the circumstances it's probably going to be permissible as a as a reasonable safeguard because if you've got a fever, you really shouldn't be exposed to other people. So, right. and I think under the circumstances of all of the safeguards that are in place, that that would be deemed reasonable. Okay. What if your business, I mean, when, when the government came up as sort of listing the essential businesses, it's a long list, yeah. <laughs> right? So if you're an essential, if you're deemed an essential business and you're choosing to stay open, but workers refuse to come into work, what happens then? Um, there's certain industries where employees are not entitled to uh, assert an unsafe work condition as a basis for not doing their job. So like we, the obvious ones would be like doctors, nurses, firefighters, and police officers, but there are essential services that are perhaps not really essential, uh, right. but perhaps in a pandemic, maybe they are. Uh, I'm thinking like liquor store, uh, mm -hmm. those employees wouldn't have the same parameters as a doctor and nurse refusing to go to work, not being able to refuse to go to work because of the pandemic. Uh, so I think that that would, even if you're an essential service, if the employee is, is reasonably feels unsafe, they would be justified in, in saying, look, I can't work. I, I'm either, I'm vulnerable because of my age or my uh, compromised immune system, or I just think it's a dangerous work environment. I don't feel comfortable. I think they could assert that 
it, it will be it'll be an arguable position whether or not it's going to be successful to do that. But again, it might trigger one of those unpaid leaves under the under the legislation. And, right. and the the broad the definitions are so broadly defined now that you, you, anyone can really fit into it, right. absent those industries where you're not allowed to assert that position. So what? How do employees protect if if you're back to work? And then an employee actually uh, contracts COVID nineteen at work. What then? Like, how, are employees held liable? Is it like so? How, how does that uh, shake out? Um, BC was actually the first province uh, to implement a change, uh, and I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the the actual, but it was it's the emergency protocols okay. of the province, and they implemented a change in that that employers who are providing essential services. So that list, like you said, is very yeah. long. Right. Um, and it pretty much covers almost every industry if you, if right. you break it down into its core components. But those employers are not liable for uh, the spread of COVID to others, including their own okay. employees, provided they do all reasonable safeguards to ensure a safe environment. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it's a virus, it spreads, but there yeah. are safeguards you can do to, to slow it down, so. So in our, so that's, we're almost wrapping up on time, but so if employ, employees come back, what are some of the, what are the obligations from the employer's point of view to make sure that the work workplace is safe and are there additional steps as an owner needs to take uh, to make sure that we're compliant and, and, and we're, we're, we're given the, the most safest environment we can for the, for the team? I, I think uh, from an immediate standpoint, you, the, um, deep cleanings, uh, disinfecting surfaces, uh, right. perhaps creating a system where you stagger employees so there's not as much contact as there would have been normally. Um, if people are still able to work from home, uh, and it and it doesn't hinder the work environment. I, I know for from our perspective, a law firm we can operate pretty remotely, and do client meetings by Zoom. And and so you can do if you can do things like that for an extended period of time. I think the better. I think bringing people back too quickly or too prematurely into a kind of a group mentality. But I think follow what the um, uh, the the. BC Health is telling everyone to do with the distancing. If, if you've got a, a, an industry that has uh, customers coming in, stagger the, the, the flow of customers so you don't have groups of people in close proximity to each other. Uh, uh, bring in cleaners with more frequency than you would, would, would otherwise. But I think as long as you follow all those guidelines and, and don't rush to group people back together, I think that you'll be okay, as from, at least from an employer's perspective. And I think that, you know, as we're, we're coming to the top of the hour, and, and again, I appreciate your time. I had a whole bunch more questions that we could get to, and <laughs> we didn't get, but that, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to circle back to questions that weren't answered. And we always say, like, if there's questions we haven't answered, if the other ones do reach out to us and we can make sure we get, you know, we can connect with Scott and make sure we get those questions answered. But, you know, the, the, the topic we, we've been covering lots of topics and really what it comes down to is having open communication like it really is you know it doesn't matter if we yesterday we're talking about you know leasing and commercial leasing and making sure you're talking to your landlords it's no no different making sure you talk to your employees and your employees are talking to your employers we got to work together to get through this right so yeah, um, yeah. And most businesses want employees to be back right so so just open that communication and and don't let it get too far right? yeah absolutely and I, I, I advocate that we, we do employment law seminars for, for, for businesses in the community 
throughout the year normally we, we switch to webinars now but yeah that's something we we advocate over and over and over as an employer be open be transparent and be honest uh with your employees and that will will serve you very well long term yeah for sure well it, again scott thank you so much for taking the time with us and for people that tuning in um these are these recordings are available on facebook so please go on if you can share it and and, and watch it uh in your own time as well uh next week we have three more sessions um on tuesday these are all 10 a.m on tuesday we'll be talking about the future of events in our community so there's lots of discussion around that on Thursday, we're going to have a discussion around tourism. Uh, and then Friday, we got a local business panel, which we're really excited about, just local business owners talking about what's going on. Um, again, thanks for spending the hour with us. If there's questions we didn't get to, please do send uh, them through, and we'll make sure we get them over to Scott to answer them for you. Um, you know, we understand the value of community, and, and we're hoping, you know, we can all stay connected and work together to get through this. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Business Matters. And thanks, Scott. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Matters with host Rob Capello. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to us and join the conversation.